This is Ashaki Jackson reading a proclamation. Our bodies give into the ocean rolling us beneath its tongues. How do we sing our loss with water brimming our throats? Oh, see, you are greedy and transform us. Our faces soft and opening. You do not wash, but strike and shove. You rinse babies from our arms. Leave husbands waiting. We spin in your disregard. You upend this body. We praise your ruin. Our monuments rooting bones in all shores. About this poem, I began writing this piece to commemorate the earthquake and subsequent tsunami at Tohoku, Japan. The Pacific Ocean was turning itself over, and Los Angeles was on tsunami watch for the first time in my memory. Angelinos received emergency alerts to move inland because the water might overwhelm the beaches and the beach cities. In my revisions, I also considered the Atlantic Ocean's role in the Middle Passage, how it provided a last yet violent escape from an enslaved life in the Americas. This poem is a confrontation and memorial. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was a poem I got in my mailbox this morning from Ashaki Jackson. I think it's called A Poem A Day, and I just thought, ah, perfect. I think we could start our show off with that. And we are so excited to have Donna Lisa Fisher, um, Dr. Donna Lisa Fisher, uh, also known as the Deaf Professor, um, in the studio with us. Good morning, Donna Lisa. Good morning, Amanda. Thank you. <laughs> and we also have um, uh, Dion. Bennett, um, Dr. Bennett, um, another anthropologist, and I'll read your your bios in full after we get a chance to say hi to each other. So thank you so much, both of you, for getting up early on this day, this heavy day, 9-11, to talk about Tupac and black women and hip-hop and maybe the anniversary of Attica, the uh, the uprising at Attica State Prison. Um, there's so much we could talk about. Bea Richards, um, whose centennial is this year. Um, she made her transition on Monday. And then we've got the uh, 16th Street um, bombing and the four little girls that were killed and all the children that were injured and traumatized. Ah. Yeah, this is a really heavy weekend. So thank you for joining us to talk and sort of unpack some of these ideas and feelings that people are probably that are swirling around that maybe they don't have language for. Thank you for having us. <laughs> sure. So, um, Donna Lisa, you introduced me to Dr. Bennett um, yesterday, and um, I was wondering 
Would you like to introduce her and I could introduce you or she could introduce you because you all know each other really well. <laughs> well, I, I want to pull up um, Dr. Bennett's amazing bio um, in front of me. I have to say that um, I, I I met Dr. Bennett, um, oh, my goodness, uh, I want to say 20 years ago. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I was like, can I say that? <laughs> and she's had a profound impact on the way that I um, uh, think, write, and engage uh, as a scholar activist. And so I'm so grateful that all three of us can be together this morning. And I, as I, I said yesterday, she's uh, my favorite Tupac Shakur scholar. So um, for me, it's an honor to be um, talking with you all this morning. Uh, uh, Amanda, can you do that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Donna Lisa, your sound you're talking kinda low, can't hear you really well. Um, wow, that's really beautiful to have a twenty year um uh, relationship, you know, two scholars, you know, and two black women scholars. Uh, you know, that's that's really, really, really wonderful. And um and, and I, I wear proudly my, my T shirt I bought at a conference on belonging at U C Berkeley site. C I T E Black Women. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that is that is. Can you hear me a little bit better now? Is that okay? That's a little better. Yeah, a lot better actually. Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know that that uh, the site Black Women, um, the like the website and the T-shirts are founded by one of our um, well, a couple of our comrades, including Kristen mm-hmm. Smith at the University of Texas Austin. However, and I have to share that Dion Bennett was the first um, uh, a scholar that I that I that I met that that helped operationalize that. Um, I, mm-hmm. It was in New Orleans. I remember I remember strongly, and um, so and I'm so glad that you're wearing that T-shirt, fellow comrade, and, and so forth. Um, I was trying to pull up the like a. Uh, uh, the a uh, formal uh, bio well, I, to read. Well, I can read the bio. I, I, I've, I've got it. You know, she sent it to us, it. both of us. You got it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I really, you know, those books that you wrote, uh, Dr. Bennett, they just look so interesting. Oh, my goodness. Um, and, and then your work around literacy in the state of California, which is, you know, nationwide, you know, known, known nationwide. I mean, you just are doing so much, which is really great. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to just go back to the person who introduced us 20 years ago. And, Don, that was at an American Anthropology Association uh, conference. <laughs> um, and the pers- I remember that. Um, the person who introduced us is hip-hop scholar and the founder of the Hip-Hop Archive at Harvard, Dr. Marcelina Morgan, and um, and we still we're, we still work with her. Um, she's still extraordinary, and I think our friendship, Don and my friendship, is a testament to the power of mentorship to mm-hmm. build connections um, beyond the people that you're mentoring. Because Dr. Morgan mentors, you know, a lot of people. I met her when I was a grad student. Uh, at UCLA, she was my, both my thesis and dissertation advisor uh, before she went to Harvard. And I think it's really powerful that through mentoring a group 
of, uh, of, of, at that time we were young, young scholars. Um, uh, what she did was she didn't just develop our careers. She developed our relationships with each other and she helped us to develop community. Um, so never underestimate the power of your mentorship, not just, I think often we talk about mentorship only in terms of, you know, professional advancement. And it's so much, you know, deeper and more powerful than that. We, we both consider Dr. Morgan um, a, a friend uh, and a close friend. And so just really it's, it, our, our friendship is a testament to the power of mentorship to go to take people so many different directions. So I just wanted to shout out to Dr. Morgan and the Hip Hop Archive mm-hmm. at Harvard. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, because I see her name in both your bios, and I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. That's right. The relationship, you know, and I didn't know she was still with us. Um, I thought, you know, that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's. that's She's not very old. (laughs) Of course, she's still with us. (laughs) (laughs) She's still here. Kicking you know what and taking names. Right. Yes. 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 (laughs) <laughs> yes. Um, so, so uh, and and that is so powerful, um, Dion. Thank you so much for 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 stating that because that is that at this moment, and it, it is it's it it continues to um, blow my mind. That is that is so powerful. This this, this um, uh, making pathways, making ways out of no ways, creating something grand out of nothing um and and uh, like the poem that we heard uh, to an extent when we when we first logged in uh it, there's been these waves and so here we have dr bennett continuing mentoring uh, uh multiple cohorts of um of scholars continuing this tradition and myself and wanda you do that as well it is you know this is just this is so powerful Oh my goodness! Um, should uh, should I should I share should I share Dr. Bennett's bio or? Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dion Bennett holds a PhD in anthropology from the University of California, Los Angeles, where she studied the psychocultural studies studied in the psychocultural studies and medical anthropology program. She graduated magna cum laude with a BA in anthropology and literature from Yale University. She's she an assistant professor in the, in the African-American Studies Department at the City University of New York, New York City College of Technology. She's an associate director of the Hip Hop Archive and Research Institute at Harvard University Hutchins Center. She was previously the Institute's director of gender studies and social advocacy and has been affiliated with the Institute since its founding in 2002 by Marcelina Morgan, PhD. She was previously the director of the African American Studies Program at the University of Detroit, Mercy. She has been a fellow of Harvard University's W.B. Du Bois Institute for African African and African American Research and the Ford Foundation and the UCLA President's Office. Her book, The Souls of Black Folk, Romantic Love in African American Culture will be published by the University of North Carolina Press. She has been published in the Du Bois Review and Daedalus with co author Marcel. <laughs> that, I was like, <laughs> thank you. Daedalus. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Daedalus, I got it now. With 
co-author Marcelina Morgan, PhD. She is the author. She is the author with photographer Matthew Jordan Smith of Sepia Dreams, a celebration of Black achievement through words and images, and co-editor of Revolutions of the Mind: Cultural Studies in the African Diaspora Project. She has worked in the entertainment industry as a television writer, research, and segment producer, and an experience she applies to her research and pedagogy. She, her, re, her research areas include psychocultural anthropology, urban anthropology, African-American and, Af- and African diasporic studies, critical race studies, women and gender studies, media and cultural studies, and hip-hop studies, which engages all of the others. It's, thank you, Dion. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I have yeah. I'll keep adding on. <laughs> <laughs> and um uh Dr. Bennett, I don't know if you want to introduce um Donna Lisa or should I read her bio yes, that I yes, found on the I'll, website I'll, at San Francisco State. I can I I will I will return the favor and read her bio. I think that would be nice. Um yes. I'm okay, very proud to know her and <laughs> really proud of the work that she does. So um Donnelly Fisher, also known as the DEF, an acronym of her initials professor, is an associate professor at San Francisco State University where she teaches courses on black popular culture, information technology, and virtual ethnography. Awards of note include Educator of the Year in 2017 from the National Council of Negro Women, Golden Gate Chapter, the Nasir Jones Fellowship, NAS, if people uh, don't recognize the name Nasir, uh, 2016, and the Woodrow Wilson (laughs) National Foundation Career Enhancement Fellowship uh, in 2011, having published on the topics of race in cyberspace, popular culture, and globalization. Uh, Her manuscript uh, reviews blackness, race, gender, and transnationalism in Japanese hip-hop and anime. anime. Um, A founding staff member, both of us are Dr. Morgan's uh, Hip-Hop Archive and Research Institute at Harvard University. Uh, Fisher uh, is also an associate director. The two of us are both the associate directors of the archive. Um, And the Mm -hmm. archive houses her uh, Japanese hip-hop collection, including Nihon Style, a film about an annual hip-hop festival in Japan uh, that she co-produced with filmmaker Bianca White. She has published articles about her research concerning race and gender politics uh, in both global and local hip-hop. At San Francisco State, uh, she co-directed the Bay Area Hip Hop Research and Scholarship Project with the famous uh, Davey D. Cook, which was awarded the Cesar Chavez Institute's Community University Empowerment Grant. And before that, um, Dr. Fisher traveled uh, throughout the world uh, and in the U.S., utilizing hip-hop as part of a social movement strategy and and co-founded the National Hip-Hop Political Convention with Bakari Kachwana and many others in 2002, which uh, has held a a number of conventions since that time. Um, The academic perspective from which Dr. Fisher writes is unique in that she has had the opportunity to experience hip-hop's heterogeneity uh, as a window to understanding racism and globalization. She has extended family family members that have been professional and renowned artists, and her youth activism was inspired by hip-hop art. She was part of a pioneering group of scholars to write dissertations on subjects that included hip-hop as part of their analytic interests. And for for Fisher, hip-hop is professional, uh, personal, and political. and I'm so so proud to know her. Uh, she's very modest about the fact that she is fluent in a number of languages, including uh, Japanese, and is 
uh, one of the entire world's foremost scholars on uh, Japanese and global hip hop. So I'm very, very proud, uh, proud to know her. And she's also uh, pioneering uh, the work of digital and virtual ethnography, uh, which is really, really uh, important to the future of social science research. So I'm adding, to the, there are things that, that aren't in her bio that I think people should know about her. So I'm throwing a couple of them out there, but um, I'm just really, really honored to know her. Thank you. Mm. Ah, wow, wow. Well, I'm really, really happy to have you both joining us to talk about, ah, Tupac, uh, among other things. So do we want to start there and then make our way through um, the other um, themes and topics that, you know, we talked about off the air in our in our emails? Or we could start wherever you like. Ashe, I, I am excited to talk about Oh, go ahead. I'm... Yeah, let's start with Tupac. Yes. Okay. <laughs> 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 so he was um gosh, Tupac was killed um uh when he was twenty five um in nineteen uh seventy one and uh or nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety six, sorry. Yeah, seventy one was yes. Attica, right, sorry. Got all yes. these dates running in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and um, yeah, and the anniversary is the thirteenth, um, which is um, this Sunday. And I just thought it was really something that the day that he was killed was on the day of you know um, many years later, um, the day that the um, Attica uprising happened around protesting. Um, the treatment of, of people who are incarcerated um, treated any old kind of way as if they weren't human beings. And then what happened mm-hmm. there, that math was really terrible, and what happened to Tupac was equally terrible. And, uh, yeah, people love Tupac, and he's, he really made an impact um, on the young people. And I was reading your review of the play, uh, the musical, that did make it here. I just kept on thinking it's got to come to California, and it didn't. I was so disappointed because I didn't catch it. <laughs> um, the, the musical that was based on his poetry from A Rose That Grew in Concrete. And so I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about about Tupac and his impact on um, on American culture but also on world culture. Mm. Uh, is this for me? Uh, who is, um, who are whoever wants to, to take it first. <laughs> whoever I, wants okay. to take it first. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll go ahead and start. And um, I think it's just, you know, we've had some time to uh, reflect on uh, on Tupac, and and it's it's amazing to me. I I was. You know, I'm I'm at my brother's uh, house in Oakland visiting, um, and I heard music downstairs earlier this week, and my 15-year-old nephew was listening to Keep Your Head Up. And I just thought that was such a powerful moment. He was like, oh, no, my aunt is dancing. Please stop. But um, <laughs> I was. I was like, hey. This is my jam. Um, but it just struck me because, you know, he knows who Tupac is and he still uh, 
listening to him, his music is still um, is still making a mark uh, not only uh, on the you know the music industry, but on the consciousness of people um, and uh, and young people. And I think that's part of the power of his voice and his. Uh, words and his art and also his presence. I don't think, you know, there are very few uh, people in uh, in world culture who have that kind of uh, charismatic, uh, that magnetic force uh, that he brought. It's one of the reasons he, you know, was a movie star as well as a hip hop artist. So I think that's really important. And I think one of the reasons he's still powerful um, and still so meaningful to people, um, and I often talk about this as an important dynamic of hip hop culture um, in general, but I think he symbolizes it, is I often argue uh, with my students, I teach a class on hip hop culture, and I often suggest to my students, they're always open to disagree with anything I say, which is I think their work as intellectuals, but I often argue to them that one of the things that makes hip hop so powerful, both in the United States and globally, is that it's one of the few cultural spaces in which men of any race, but in this, and, but certainly centralizing here, black men, but any men are allowed to express the full range of their uh, emotional humanity while mm. still retaining the status of their masculinity. And I'm not, I'm, I'm a, you know, I am a avowed black feminist. I am not um, invested personally in you know the the status of, of masculinity. I think it can be quite. Uh, uh, damaging to uh, people of all genders, including men. But I, I, I recognize that masculine status is really important to a lot of men. In some cases, for many men, it can feel like the only form of power they have. So to be able to have one's full emotional humanity and maintain the status of one's uh, identity as a man is a really unusual and really powerful um, combination, and I think it's one of the things that draws people uh, to to hip hop. I think it's something that draws women to hip hop too, um, because I think for Black women, we are both masculinized and emotionally dehumanized as well. Um, so, it, so hip hop is a space in which we can express our full human, emotional humanity and still maintain our power. Um, and I think that's true, you know, across genders, but it's very, very unique uh, and uh, unusual for men to have that kind of a space. And I think one of the reasons hip hop is that space, I think it, it always was at start, you know, we can go back to early hip hop and the message and, uh, what uh, what Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five were able to do to assert both uh, both masculinity uh, and humanity at the same time, um, but I think Tupac is really uh, the figure who really throws that door open and and creates a a space a a, a, a massive room for uh, the emotional humanity of men of all races and for black people uh, to live with their power. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons 
he remained so powerful because he was so masterful at doing that. Um, but I think we're all living in that space. We're all breathing the air that was created from him creating that, that space. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons uh, he, uh, he remains, uh, remains so powerful. So that's one of the things I think I, I always like to kind of recenter uh, that power of, of his art because I think it, it's so important. I don't think we get a J. Cole or a Kendrick Lamar or even, you know, a Drake being all in his feelings. We don't get that space for that, that wave of artists if Tupac doesn't do that foundational work of creating that space um, in the last century. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Woo. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I- I wish I wish that my snaps could be heard. Maybe they can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can hear your Absolutely. snaps. Yes. And that exactly, exactly as as what as 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 Dion um, has observed and theorized uh, how how Tupac um, remains, you know, he 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 created that foundational space, that legacy, that uh, you know, uh, that that we do that does help to produce this Kendrick Lamar um and so forth. And I wanted to go back to something that remains profound for me, um listening to Tupac um all these decades is is, is exactly that that vulnerability, how um he his course has been lauded for his um his his lyric writing um and how he uh, like uh, brilliantly, like authors like Thor Neil Hurston has been able to is able to uh, cr- create uh, text uh, that is complicated in how it signifies how there's so much meaning. It's it's it, 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 there's there's theory, there's philosophy, and and uh, you know imbued with um, that that invokes these emotional reactions and helps uh, and helps the, the listeners do this um, simultaneous uh, critical analysis, um, uh, do the you know of the mind and do this um, uh, critical emotional work. Um, I guess there's I, I want to reserve some space for um, um, us to talk about some of some of the compositions that um, have become the, become these anthems um, for those inside and out and, and those who don't necessarily claim to um, uh, be within this hip hop framework as a continuation of our, of our, of our uh, diasporic black uh, arts and political movement. Um, so, but I want to, I was la- listening last night to a song that um, uh, always invokes tears. And uh, I was thinking as like, Oh, we can't play this on the radio. <laughs> But it's, so it's one of those songs we don't necessarily hear, like "Keep Your Head Up" um, or "Holler If You Hear Me" or "If My Homies Call" and so forth. Um, uh, and this is this song. If, I, if memory serves, um, it was on an album that was released, after, you know, after his death. And uh, the song is called "16 on Death Row." And mm. the way he writes the song, it's um, you know the the rhythm is is. is it has a tagline, Dear Mama. So, of course, we're brought back to his earlier composition called Dear Mama, right? Um, uh, but the particular song, 16 on Death Row, 
he, 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 it's written from the standpoint of being 16 on death row. And he, the, the, the narrator is, 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 is sharing the horror of, of pr- prison um, dehumanization in prison, all of the violence and abuse and connecting it to systemic racism um, uh, within and outside of prison walls. Um, through graphic detail of the violence, fear, torture uh, uh, that is lending to this experience of dehumanization. And we're being reminded of a couple of things through the narration of the song. One, the, the narrator, um, uh, Tupac, right? But it, 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 Tupac was not 16 on death row when this was written. So the, Tupac, mm-hmm. um, the way the narration of the song flows, it's Dear Mama. And then with that voice, with that prophetic voice, um, and then he starts, and then he, through through rapping, shares the horrors that are being experienced. And then there's, and then you know there's the the that 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 thesis that statement sixteen on death row. And to to really you know bring this is a, this is this is this is this is a child. This is someone's child that is hearing rape is hearing violence is 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 in deep fear is is critical of of the systems that produce the conditions under which this is happening and it's just such a such a powerful song and um it oft, it has often um reminded me of various uprisings inside and outside of prisons um but as we were talking about the anniversary of attica and but to bring center back to Tupac, um, you know that particular song is. I think I wanted to take a moment to describe because it is not necessarily like it can't be played on the radio. I don't know if it was played on the radio out here. It wasn't in St. Louis when I when I was listening to it. Um, and uh, as I was looking at it again last night, I was like, oh, no, this is a. It's a, and 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 that's one of the things that I appreciate about. Um, uh, I think Tupac is is a master of of, of demonstrating hip uh, hop or rapping and and, and art as stor- utilizing the uh, ethnographic detail in storytelling to bring forth uh, what is often talked about in 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 either the news or academe as statistics, but to bring forth this this first person narrative with. Um, compelling ethnographic detail that uh, moves moves the listener, and for me personally, this is a song that it's very difficult for me to hear without you know crying, getting into that, getting connecting with that that emotion of of this collective pain, the um, the you know really experiencing um, the the theory, the critique, the data, and the narrative in a, in a visceral way. It, it just, it, it never ceases. And that song has to have been out for at least 20 years. So mm. um, I wanted to just add in uh, that personal reflection um, of perhaps lesser known song. People can look it up, 16 on Death Row by Tupac. And um, to, to, to demonstrate how, he, you know, he laid, uh, as Dr. Bennett pointed out, he laid the foundation work for rappers coming um after him, um, and also for 
the listeners. Um, that he he remains that 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 important um, symbol that allows people to connect with um, our individual humanity, even amid so much dehumanization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking. Um, I had a couple of thoughts as you were speaking. I was thinking about um, about how through his art, uh, Tupac. Well, he said that you know he he was gonna be coming back, but he he's he's immortal. I mean, literally, he sold more music yeah. deceased than he has because he, he didn't live long enough. <laughs> than than he was alive. You know, books have been published. People have had sightings. Um, so it's just kind of interesting. Like, is he really gone? And and then you yeah. think about you know art as you know sort of a vehicle where you know if you have if you leave something like you know something a legacy that he's left in his his music and 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 his you know his philosophy because he's got a philosophy too that that people live by um, you know thug life um, I think Sonia Sanchez and maybe Nikki Giovanni both had thug life thug life tattooed on themselves. Am I remembering correctly? I can't verify, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. That's right. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, I can't verify, but um, I would. I would. I. I. I, um, I, I would. I, I would. I would say right on. And I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I. I think it's really important. And in, in case people who are listening don't know what Thug Life stands for, it is an ac- uh, an acronym. Um, uh, that is often framed as the hate you give little infants. And I won't say the F word F's everyone. And like that, just that it's a psychological theory of social distress, you know, and the consequences yeah. of social distress. And I think, you know, it's, it's just a really important um, theory. I think it's really um, interesting that just uh, this year, um, uh, Tupac Shakur's sister started uh, a foundation um, to address mental uh, um, uh, to address mental health. Uh, uh, Sakua Shakur. I hope I'm saying um, I'm saying uh, her name correctly. So it's uh, the Tupac Am- uh, Amara Shakur Foundation, and I know Taraji P Henson is involved. But even that state, that statement, Thug Life, even the fact that it's hiding, right? Thug Life, you know, most people think it means that he's glorifying violence and glorifying being a thug. And, you know, Tupac is, is a master of multiple meanings, right? So in some ways he is playing with that idea, but he's also saying, hey, you know, the people that you're uh, identifying as a thug, are people who have humanity and who have histories and they are, even if they do things that are problematic and hurtful, um, there's a history um, behind that behavior. Even um, the song that, that, um, that the 16 on death row song that Don was mentioning before you know, I just want to warn people who look at the lyrics, he describes, you know, a very violent uh, sexual act uh, and then later in that same song 
Um, and again, not Tupac, the character, although Tupac had his own problems uh, with being incarcerated for a behavior related to sexual violence. Um, but the character uh, uh, is, you know, his crime is, appears to be related to a violent sexual act against another, another man or another boy. Um, but then later in that song, the character describes uh, being sexually assaulted by a family member. And I think that, that there's, a, there's a, a psychological sophistication in both the Thug Life acronym and that song. Um, I love uh, one of his earliest releases was Brenda's Got a Baby. Um, yes. And if you listen to Brenda's Got a Baby, right at the very beginning of the song, he has, you know, a kind of... Uh, dialectical discourse where you know another person says oh you know that's Brenda's problem and Tupac says let me explain how this affects the whole community um, and so this idea that all of these intricate and intimate details of our lives and our, our and our psychological lives have both behavioral consequences for individuals but social, cultural, and community consequences for everybody else is something that we see recurring throughout his work. And it's still a point that, you know, we as a society across race um, are not getting enough. Um, it's, that's why I think uh, uh, the foundation that um, – Tupac's sister is forming to center mental health now in 2020 um, is such a fitting tribute to him because he was centering mental health as related to social justice, you know, in the 90s. And we're still, still not where he was in terms of uh, fully recognizing how significant um, that uh, that connection is. So I think it's a really uh, so even as we talk about thug life, a lot of people don't don't realize that he's making a critique, um, and they think, oh, he's just glorifying. I think the kids know, but certainly you know some of the older folks uh, don't understand that he's not just glorifying violence. He's t saying, you know, hey, uh, there's a connection between these narratives of suffering and trauma and childhood and violence and incarceration in adulthood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I remember, um, Donna, Lisa, you and I, when we were speaking yesterday, um, you were talking about um, how, you know, there, I think you were at a party and and then I don't know what happened, uh, but all of a sudden, you know, sort of Tupac was evoked, and and then um, the mood turned to one of of grieving and mourning, and and I was just thinking um, because you are a um, a Du Bois scholar, I was just thinking about the souls of Black folks, and and the passing of the firstborn, and 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 then also with Du Bois talking about you know that double consciousness. And I was thinking, you know, sort of the passing of the firstborn, you know, that could be Tupac, Tupac um, and, and you know, his mother, you know, they were very close. 
and um, and she was a phenomenal woman. Oh my goodness! I mean, just a powerhouse, and and she was she had to keep on rising from being crushed by you know some of the, some of the men that were that were in her her life and were she was encountering because she was so powerful, and um, and then what happened to her after she was um you know sort of the genius behind the release of the of the uh, Panther 21 in New York um you know that case that she won <laughs> um and so and I was just wondering if you if either or both of you want to talk about um just sort of um uh so the Tupac sort of representative of of this this firstborn and 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 you know and how he navigated with regards to um the tuness because you know he was <clears throat> you know like you say he was really brilliant and uh he was operating on a lot of a lot of levels simultaneously and and I and I'm sure you know that it made it easier because he was a gemini and I'm a gemini and we can do that kind of stuff but anyway <laughs> <laughs> um I want um uh I, I want to I'm going to I do want to bring in Du Bois in here um but I want to pause for a second one if that's, if possible um to mm-hmm. know Certainly. yeah when he when he a, a couple of things when yes when I learned um when so it was 1996 and uh and, and this part kind of floors me because I'm trying to figure out how we found out so quickly without the digital technologies that have become normative in our days, because I was in St. Louis um, in a, a, a suite of, 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 of strong black women intellectuals <laughs> in St. Louis. We were in college. We were very happy that we had been, we had been afforded uh, adjacent dorm rooms, shall we say. And that was, um, and it was, uh, my, you know, it was my sweet mate and, and, and later sorority sister's uh, birthday. I, th- I think that's why we, because I was trying to remember, we we had, we'd gathered for the occasion of her birthday, um, you know, on a, I, maybe on a school night. <laughs> and, and, and the news, you know, this, this celebratory moment, somehow, I don't know if we got a phone call, and it must have been on a landline, that, that um, he passed. And, you know, it became a the um, the the gathering became quickly a collective grieving in mourning, and I and I, I think as 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 as, as you and Dion have demonstrated um, brilliantly that I don't even know that I could process this on that level until even this morning, and that um, that perhaps because of Tupac's simultaneous his his his, his uh, his poetics and his theory to connect with us um, on ways that we may not have been able to process at say 19 years old, um, that we, we, we centered with his passing and um, perhaps our own wounds or, you know, so we, and as well as the wounds of the people. And uh, I did want to make sure to bring in my alpha as to, to connect that to that um, collective grieving, because what I, so that was my that was my experience, you know, years ago in St. Louis, um, and uh, in 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 our black community. Um, 
yet I've seen I've seen this um, I've seen this aspect of, of, of being able to operationalize this, the the the, the um, ideas of my alpha um, subsequently every year, you know, and wherever I was in the world, and 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 particularly here in the Bay Area, um, I'm I'm struck by regardless of one's identity, but um, uh, one could be Asian American, one could be um, Latinx, one can be, you know, African diaspora, and 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 that that almost universal connection with Tupac for multiple reasons. I want to bring in how he also told us how to party, how to go to war, you know, how to fight for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But in addition to dealing with, um, um, uh, uh, you know, breaking silence on, on, on violence and, and, and also um, therefore advocating for our, our mental health and our, our healing and, with oneself, with our families, um, uh, and so forth. So um, I think I may have gotten off, but I, I mean, off that point <laughs> of Du Bois. Um, uh, but I did want to, I did hope to bring in that, that aspect of, uh, to, to, to try to connect since my alpha is coming up and it, it's the 25th anniversary coming up in a couple of weeks. I wanted to make sure to bring that in even if later uh, and, uh, and, and also to, to note uh, that, you know, the, the, the solutions oriented, like regardless, not regardless, while, while there's, while, while Tupac's courage, his intellectual and creative courage took us to very painful places um, necessarily um, that he also articulated hope, as as was mentioned earlier, uh, with Dion um, uh, bringing up "Keep Your Head Up," um, mm. I think my first high school step show was the "Holler If You Hear Me," <laughs> just as a party jam, and also a and also you know a collective um, support jam and more. Um, and I I love if your homies call. It, wait, it's my homies call. Um, anytime I've been organizing or doing some sort of direct action, or even you know maybe feeling isolated studying. Um, or, or research and writing, this idea that if you are feeling isolated or if you are ready to have a mass organization or, trend, or doing civic engagement, this idea like your homies will be there. And I know, I understand if we look at, if, if one were to look at the <laughs> lyrics in a surface way that maybe uh, one could discern it differently, but that's how I interpreted <laughs> much of his work. So I wanted to bring in that, 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 solutions um and celebratory um and uh, uh aspect of his work as well and i guess the connected to du bois that's something we see du bois doing with many of his works including souls of black folks where he he uh discusses you know actually to bring in double consciousness but um bringing in um the the lyric, the the creative mastery, the um, of, of 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 souls, of, of 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 sorrow songs, and 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 explaining how it the work that the, that the art does, as well as articulating the theory that sets this intellectual legacy, this creative legacy, apart from anything ever seen. Um, at, at, at that moment in this in this geographical space, 
amazing to us as Eric. <laughs> um, I want to I want to go back to this point of black women and uh, uh, what Dr. Fisher was saying about you know the women and the grieving. And just and it made me you know re- it reminded me of two narratives of women mm-hmm. responding to the death of Tupac and. One was of my sister, who at the time, uh, I believe, was in a senior position at Big Brothers of Greater Los Angeles, if I'm correct, and a, somebody a, a, that she worked with, if you can't tell that, you know, I'm black, my name is Dion, we're black. So I'm black, my sister's black, my brother's black, we're all black. Okay, um, so she's black, and um, a white person in her workplace um, said something, you know, one of the reasons we found out so fast is because it was, it was news. It was really big news. Like everybody understood, you know, in the, you know, all news forms that this was a big event. His death was a big event because hip hop was so big. Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, someone, a white person that she worked with said, you know, was kind of dismissive of his death and said, well, live by the sword, die by the sword you know, to something really dismissive. And my sister, who I'm always proud of, you know, really challenged them and said, hey, you know, you need to respect what he means to young people and what he means to black people. And one of the things I remember her, because she was really angry at what had happened, and rightfully so, one of the things she said uh, to me that she had said to the white person, she said, you know, in my community, we don't just measure you by what you have done. We measure you by what you can do. Uh, we measure you by your potential um, mm. and your possibilities. And so when we celebrate Tupac and we mourn him, we don't only uh, mourn all of his wonderful achievements. We mourn the loss of what he could have done and could have been had his life not been cut short. And that always really stayed uh, with me because I feel that we're still grieving that. And the other mm. story was a black woman I did um, at the time. I think I was doing my dissertation research. I did my dissertation research um, at a black poetry workshop called the Anansi Poetry Workshop uh, in Los Angeles at the World Stage there. Um, yeah, and cool. we were we were uh, we were meeting, and there was a woman at the time who would have was a middle aged black woman, a poet. And, you know, and we were, we were absolutely mourning, like we were crying. And um, the woman said, you know, I used to hate hip hop. She said, I have a teenage son. And this was back in the days of CDs. She said, if he brought a, a hip hop CD into my house, I would break it and throw it away. Like she was really, you know, hmm. really opposed. She wasn't just uncomfortable. She physically destroyed hip hop CDs, which to me is like sacrilege, but she did. Um, and then she said one night she was out with her girls at the club. She was having a really, really hard time in her life. And Keep Your Head Up came on. And she said it really spoke to her and moved her. And she mm-hmm. said she had been feeling so alone in her life. And to hear that this person that she had met and sadly would never meet understood her pain um, and empathized with it and advocated for her 
you know, really was a transformative experience for her in terms of her relationship to art, but also in her relationship to hip hop and her understanding of why her son loved it so much. Like he kept bringing those CDs home for her to break. Um, so um, I thought I, I'd bring up those two stories because it was like, I just can imagine a woman going around breaking uh, her son's CDs. Um, but, um, but I bring up those two stories because I think, you know, I always come back to this kind of trilogy of Brenda's Got a Baby, Dear Mama, and Keep Your Head Up as these songs that each in their own way are really speaking to black women and not only uh, recognizing the humanity um, and the suffering of black women and empathizing uh, with that, but also advocating for us, you know, standing with us and by us. And I want to say that doesn't take away from his, uh, Tupac's sexist lyrics, which he had plenty of them, were problematic. Um, it doesn't take away from his, in you know, his role. And he, you know, claimed that he did not, uh, was not a participant in the sexual assault of a woman, but he said he stood by and didn't stop it. Um, but he was, whatever his involvement was, it was like, you know, deeply, you know, distressing and problematic and he went to jail for it. Um, so I don't want to, we, we have to hold the complexity of him being, you know, saying misogynistic things and, and doing misogynistic things. And at the same time, being this very rare voice of advocacy and empathy for black women and to, we still don't have enough of those voices of men who advocate for and empathize uh, with any women, any men in a, uh, doing that with any women and, sir, uh, and any men doing that with, with black women. So I think it's really important. And just to swing back around to double consciousness and just, again, for people who aren't uh, familiar, who, you know, read it, you know, 40 years ago, um, a, a Du Bois describes double consciousness, and I'm quoting, looking at oneself through the eyes of another, uh, end quote. And that idea, and specifically really looking at, uh, he's referring to black people looking at ourselves through the eyes of white people. And one of the reasons we still discuss Du Bois, he's one of the first readings of all, every class I teach, um, is because that concept of double consciousness is still, you know, part of what we're battling and negotiating. If you get a chance to read Souls of Black Folk, it's online. Later in that same chapter, he talks or he writes about the importance of self-recognition and self-respect. And I think that uh, hip-hop in general and Tupac in, in particular actually represent in some ways uh, a rejection of double consciousness and a movement towards the work of self-recognition and self-respect where, where white people get decentered. They, you know, they're, they're there, but they do not define um, who we are to ourselves and to each other. And I think he created a model of black mutual recognition. Um, there's a, uh, uh, a term that's often used in Southern Africa and it's becoming more global called Ubuntu, uh, which roughly uh, 
uh, translates in, uh, I, I believe it's in Zulu, to I am because we are. Um, and that kind of Ubuntuistic sensibility um, that Tupac kind of, you know, embodied and, you know, poetically wrote about is in some ways a journey beyond double consciousness. And Du Bois is very clear that he wants black people to move away from double consciousness and towards self-aware consciousness, self-recognition, self-respect. And I feel that Tupac embodied uh, both as a person, as an, as an artist, that particular movement. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, that's, wow. Yeah, that is so true. And then thinking about Ubuntu is, you know, I see myself in you. And and so, mm. you know, looking at the wellness of the community, if one of us is not well, that means that none of us are well. So we have to do things so that if someone is not well, that we make the person feel better so then we can mm-hmm. all be well together. But I like the idea of, you know, decentering, um, you know, these others, you know, like not putting whiteness at the center of our lives because mm-hmm. it's not, you know, we are the center of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's really great. Yeah, I like that. And and I was also thinking, you know, sort of uh, around the boys, how, you know, he was – uh, at least publicly and in the media, so against uh, Marcus Garvey, the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey, mm-hmm. you know, and this is the centennial year um, this past, this last month of the the huge convention of African peoples throughout the diaspora in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. amazing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's where the Constitution was, was ratified and drafted, where Marcus Garvey was, uh, nominated and elected the provisional um, president of the United States of Africa. You know that's where the song was um, was was sang and the flag, and um, and just thinking about how Du Bois and Garvey were both you know uh, honored and and you know sort of held in high esteem by President Nkrumah, <laughs> and and um, and the boys ended up leaving this country and and re you know and settling in Ghana, uh, West Africa. And so I would see sort of like them, him coming full circle. You know, if if Garvey would have lived as long, you know, they they could have actually maybe changed the way that the the West you know had projected them. You know, as far as the perception of them being at odds with one another, as opposed to. Um, having similar goals for our people. But I wanted to ask you also um, to talk a little bit about the the whole thing around grief and the firstborn. And, um, yeah, because when, you know, how Du Bois writes about, you know, his law, his first how he was, you know, he was a, he wasn't a father, and so when he got a son, he sort of had a child. He became another person because of that relationship he grew into something that he couldn't have grown into outside of having a child. I don't have children, so 
I, I like <laughs> to think that those of us who don't have children are still capable of growth and change and love even without uh, children. <laughs> I'm a very, very proud auntie. No, we got to get excluded from the parents club as if we can't somehow grow because we haven't had children. Um, uh, so uh, I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the proud aunties club. So I will not speak to the parenting uh uh, role since I don't occupy that role. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's this there's this, um, there's this um, thinking about the, I'm gonna try, I'm trying to figure out how to say this succinctly that um, the the three of us as, as educators as people engaged in our deeply rooted in our communities making these commitments we are um, we are engaging you know, that fictive kinship and that we are, we are, we are engaging that, um, that, that, that role of participating in the growth and development of others as educators, as family members, as aunties, as, um, uh, and, uh, you know, one of, one of, uh, there's a, a book by Lisa Del Pitt entitled Other People's Children, and it's on, it's on educational <laughs> philosophy and then pedagogy. And I keep, I often think, you know, that's, we are, we are, you know, we are, we have, we have the honor of, of working with other people's children and, uh, and, uh, and, and those who are educating um, our children are working with other people's children. Um, I, um, I, I am a parent and of an amazing yeah. child <laughs> who better be up and logged into his remote school right now. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, uh, uh, you know, it, I, you know, I, when I, I'm, I, engaging the text, I really want to go back and center on that text right now. Like when we get off the, like when we get, when we, I, I really want to revisit that. Cause just, I'm thinking about, um, du Bois's theory in regard to that and his and his descriptions and I'm I'm moved at it in a way that I don't know that I've been moved before but the, the way you you just explicated it I have to say yes uh, to to have a part of yourself um, metaphorically I mean uh, to, to 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 emerge. I, oh gosh, could, uh, Wanda, could you tell me again, like what you said? The 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 could you restate the the, the words again? I, there's something I wanted to say about that. Uh, the passing of the firstborn. Or yes, and <clears throat> yeah, when you yeah, and I I just thought about you know Tupac, you know that, you know we we're talking about how, you know there was so much grief around. His passing. I mean, he didn't go without a whisper. I mean, he didn't. Mm-hmm. He he went when he when he was no longer in this particular realm. It was noticed when he when he made his transition. <clears throat> Perhaps because of the suddenness of it and how it was it was it was you know it was violent. I mean, we haven't talked about the violence. You know, it was violent. We talked about the trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's trauma because there's violence. You know, there's there's trauma because, <clears throat> you know, black bodies don't have space to grow and be safe and to thrive. They have to. They have. They can carve space out, but in any any time, you know, it can be invaded or it can be taken away 
or we can be said, oh, you don't belong there. <clears throat> so the whole idea of, you know, of having, you know, this 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 firstborn no longer here, you know, um, Du Bois talks about just his heart. He's just so grieving. I mean, he has a daughter, um, I think, later on. But that space that his son occupied, that firstborn, you know, you know, people talk about how, you know, you have another child and that child will fill that space. Like, no, not really. <laughs> people don't fill spaces. No. Somebody's gone. They're gone, right? right? That's why, you know, in African traditions, um, you know, if you have another child, that child lives for that child that preceded him or her until that child spiritually tells their sibling, I'm good. You've done everything I wanted to do if I had lived. Now you can just have your own life. You don't have to live my life too. I think that's so beautiful, um, you know, when when a sibling will do that for his departed sibling. sibling. And I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about how um, how Du Bois is speaking to you know this. There's there's this personalized reflection, and then also bringing it to a theory of for for people, in that um, whether one is that a biological you know a parent or. Or, or parenting, or what we say, we say in anthropology, uh, fictive kin, um, you know, doing that, 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 that work. There's a part of ourselves that's out there in the world, in a world that is, has declared war on this vulnerable human spirit. And that, that is a pain. That is, a, that is, that is, that is, that is, that is, that, that is immense fear to I mean, think about the conditions and the, the time a hundred years ago uh, that Du Bois was talking. Um, and when we think about all of the violence, all of the, the structures, um, all of the precarity, I, I, I don't know that I have the words to describe the, uh, the, the context briefly right now. Um, but I'm, I'm 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 connecting with that fear, and that's something that we are 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 still experiencing. Um, in that, it, regardless of 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 education, location, uh, network access to perceived um, support and power and, and and spiritual strength, at any moment the state, white supremacy. There's a number of different factors that can enact um, pain um, and, 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 and violence on, on, one's, on one's child. Um, and then there's also, obviously I'm not talking about the, 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 and there's also these other factors that stop our children before they're born or at birth that is, is, is much described. And I, I, as I'm seeing that as, um, good, but not able to really talk about it. I don't know. I, I think, I think it, it ties, it ties into the black lives matter movement in a lot yes. of ways. It's funny. I was just talking to my students yesterday, you know, they're very interested in black lives matter. And one of them was mentioning that, um, Trayvon Martin's mother, 
is uh, is running for office, and you have you know one of the the mm-hmm. mothers of the movement is already a congress uh, congresswoman, and you know one of the reasons the mothers the mothers of the movement are so powerful is because they um, they represent our you know collective fear. Uh, for our children, our fear that they will be murdered. Like, we're not just afraid, oh, something bad could happen. It's like, no, we are afraid that our children will be murdered. And I say are because, you know, I consider my students my babies. Uh, I don't tell them that, but that's how I feel. <laughs> like, oh, I'm looking out for you. Um, like, our children will be murdered um, by the state. Um, and so I think it's really, you know, I think that fear, you know, throughout the book, um, so it's a black book, including that chapter. I mean, even that chapter is an allegory in which uh, the firstborn son are the collective black dead, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's his son, but it's an allegory for the entire black community. And he even describes this idea of the son is free, that where the survivors are still enslaved, but the, the son is, um, is free. And I realized we didn't, you know, just to bring it back to um, also the Attica uprising, you know, I just want to remind folks that the Attica uprising came from incarcerated people um, in 71, protesting uh, the dehumanization that they were experiencing. Um, and, you know, when all the shots were fired and, you know, both incarcerated people and guards were dead, it was outside state actors who in all likelihood, uh, you know, were responsible for most of the deaths, including the deaths yes. of the guards. And, you know, I think even that story makes me think of what's happening now with the Black Lives Matter protests, where you have these protests, we have the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, but white people are starting to die, right? White people are starting uh, to be, you know, assaulted uh, um, and killed either uh, by uh, representatives of the state and the former police or people who, you know, vigilantes who, who fancy themselves, you know, representatives of, you know, whatever white supremacist state fantasy that their, you know, evil world that they are living in. Um, and so I think that that idea of um, we are all the firstborn sons, we are all the mm-hmm. firstborn daughters, we are all vulnerable, um, we are all at risk, we are all one misstep, you know, one confused moment, you know, you know, think of, you know, Brianna Taylor, one, you know, wrong boyfriend, you know, uh, away from a massacre. Um, and I think that's kind of the idea of, you know, to me, you know, I read it, uh, that piece as, what would it look like if we, you know, all treasured each other and valued each other as if we all were the firstborn son? So I'm a thirdborn daughter. I have a, you know, an older brother who's the, who's the, who is the firstborn son who I adore, 
you know, and I think, you know, I used to complain to my parents, like, look at all these beautiful pictures of of him, and, you know, here's a crazy (laughs) picture of me, you know, (laughs) like, clearly pooping, like, why don't I have these beautiful, beautifully lit baby pictures of my brother with this gorgeous baby, you know, and there are these beautiful pictures of him being gorgeous, you know, Um, but what if everybody was treated like the firstborn son, Um, what if we all treated each other as if we were all sacred and special and the beginning of uh, new, uh, you know, new possibilities, if we were all treated as if we were carrying forth an important legacy and building on that legacy. So that to me is the message of that Du Bois chapter. And it's also that, that, you know, the message of Tupac, the reason young people still love him, um, um, there are lots of reasons, but one of them is that he said clearly to them in his lyrics, you are special and sacred and Mm -hmm. your emotional humanity is important. He, not always, but in many contexts, treated young black people as, you know, the 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 special child um, that should be honored and and celebrated and protected. And, you know, we still feel that, that love from him through his art. And so that's how I kind of see that connection. We are all the firstborn and sacred and special child. Yeah. Wow. That's really, really beautifully said. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and really encourage people to to read it too. It's it's really really a beautiful chapter in in the book. I was wondering, um, we're we're a little over, but if you all have time, I have time. I wanted to know if um, we wanted to um, uh, maybe bring in James Baldwin, and uh, and then maybe talk a little bit about some other important issues that are happening presently that people should be aware of, like registering to vote and voting and completing the 2020 census if they have not done so. And and what aspect, James Baldwin is a big subject. What aspect of James Baldwin were you thinking oh, about? Oh, I'm thinking about Oh, I'm thinking about um the uh the fire next time. Uh and I'm thinking about, you know, Tupac mm-hmm. and some of his his work that was like a, a was almost like a a response like if he and Baldwin were talking, um, he he definitely agreed with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, in 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 the work, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that um, and and you all are more of an expert in in his lyrical content than I am, but um, yeah, I was just thinking about that conversation because one could think, I mean, literally in California right now in the Bay Area, you could think that this is the apocalypse. You know the sky mm-hmm. is orange. We can't. Yeah. I mean, two days ago, it never. It was never morning. We woke up yeah. and it was looking like the afternoon, and then when the afternoon came, it looked like evening. <laughs> Today is a little sunnier. the The air is. You can't breathe it. It's really, really, really bad <laughs> because of the particles. You know. Um, yeah, it's like whoa. And I just think to myself, I feel so blessed that I have a place. Inside, and and but everyone doesn't have a place inside. Some people are out there in this all the yeah. time. Yeah, 
horrible. Not to I mention mean, all the people that are losing their homes, you know, that and the people that are dying, you know, in these fires. Well, and yes, and um, I'm trying to. I just grabbed my son right now. Is reading the fire next time with my mother, who's mm-hmm. oh, remote. Really? She's in a different state. Yes. So, oh, um, I love no, that I, book. Do, oh, wow. And, <laughs> and I think I do have to go to office hours in a minute, but I'm hoping we can maybe mm-hmm. maybe we oh. can do a part two. There is. Just, oh yeah, I'm trying super. to pull out all these quotes. Like, um, there's something that. Um, well, I I came to this one maybe. He says, "Let me see." Um, one can. Let me think. Um, I'm looking at that this 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 part where Baldwin says to his nephew in um, I don't know, the, the letter uh, the, my dungeon shook letter to my nephew yeah. on the 100th anniversary of emancipation. There's a part um, where he says, you know, but remember, most of mankind is not all of mankind. And um, what is he getting at? He's 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 you know he's articulating. Uh, destruction and uh and and but uh the 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 lack of innocence um or even those who who claim to be innocent are 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 complicit in the crime um these crimes against humanity these crimes against um black people and uh he um you know, uh, oh goodness, we do need to have this as another. <laughs> um, but I, I, I really appreciated, um, you know, uh, goodness. Um, well, here's another quote. Try to imagine how you would feel if you woke up one morning to find the sun shining and all the stars aflame. I, you know, mm. I, there, there's mm. there's much here. Um, I think when my son first started reading uh, this work, um, I did actually. Uh, utilize hip hop artists um to 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 you know um help pique his interest um uh and 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 he's continued with that metaphor when he talks you know about it when we talk about it he talks about um um baldwin's flow baldwin's philosophy um uh situates him some, somewhat with an afro pessimism <laughs> and uh and um and 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 this strength that and I and I see I I see hope I see hope there um I'm trying to bring this to to to, to Tupac because well my son oh sorry please 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 yeah, oh I just wanted in. to um I just in in, in that this set, the the rest of that piece is and I'm just going to read it um when he says, if, if you woke up and all these things had changed, and I'm just quoting, and I just want to put, point out, letter to my nephew, James Baldwin yes. did not have children, <laughs> still <Yes>. extraordinary, <laughs> you know, to be a kid, uh, parent, yes. to grow. Yes, he was. Um, but um, <laughs> so he writes a letter to his nephew who he loves. Um, he says, any upheaval in the universe is terrifying because it so profoundly attacks one's sense of one's own reality. Well, the black man is functioned in the white man's world as a fixed star, as an immovable pillar, and as he moves out of his place, heaven and earth 
are shaken to their foundations. Mm. And I feel like it's so prophetic. So that's Letter to My Nephew. It's available online. Um, uh, That's an excerpt from it. But I think it's prophetic. Like the Black Lives Matter movement right now is uh, a representative of black people moving out of the designated place of the whipping post and, you know, shooting target um, for white people. And, you know, it's making, you know, people feel that, you know, power is shifting and they are correct. Power is shifting. And I do, and I, you know, as, as we kind of close out, I do want to kind of recenter uh, the, uh, the elections and uh, the census um, that, you know, it's so important. We're all, um, here in the Bay, I live in New York, but I'm in the Bay Area right now. And yes, it did. It looked like we were we were on Mars. I was so confused. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh, is this really happening? Um, yeah. But uh, but certainly this the what, one of the reasons it looked like that. One of the reasons, you know, the you know California is on fire right now is because unaddressed climate change problems. You know, so these are things that are important. Um, you know, the census affects how many resources are distributed to all um, communities. It's one of the reasons that the current administration has been fighting so hard to prevent people from completing it because they want to prevent people from getting both the economic resources they need and the electoral, the political resources they need. And so uh, one of the things I try to remind people is that many of these things that people kind of try to talk about um, Black Lives Matter and the, pro, the protest movement as if it has nothing to do with the election, as if, you know, what, the election is just about white people? And it's like, no, whether we like it or not, elections have consequences for black people. Elections will have consequences for how policing is done. Elections will have consequences for how mass incarceration proceeds. Um, one of the things that will wake up, whether no matter who's president, um, in January, we are going to be dealing with the consequences of all of these judges that the Trump administration put into place for another generation. And we will be paying. We will be paying a high price. Many of these judges are racist judges. We will be suffering because of elections. So I think it's really important, especially now when we're less than two months out for the, from the election, to really challenge this idea that elections don't affect us or that there are no consequences or that the consequences are for white people somewhere else and not for black people in our house. The elections have consequences for black people in our homes. If we are lucky enough to have homes, Um, they will have consequences for black people who do not have homes. Um, So they have consequences for everybody. And so, and one of the ways if, if we want to shake the foundations so that we can build a better one, um, one of the ways, not the only way, it's just one. We have to use all of our tools. But one of the tools is filling out the census, and another tool is, um, is our vote, because our vote says uh, you can't ignore us, you can't silence us, and you are accountable to us. And I don't think we can say that enough, but we can't say that with the force that we need if we don't use the votes that we have especially if uh, we are in a state where um, formerly incarcerated people can vote. 
Um, so I think it's just really important to never let elections, never let, let elections get whitened in a way that makes us throw away our power. Um, because we can't afford to throw away uh, any of our power, and we can't afford to throw away a single vote. Mm-hmm. Heaven and earth are shaken to their foundations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Considering you know our history and our ancestors, that they gave their lives so that we could be educated and so that we could participate in this democracy, even though it's not perfect, we still need to participate because we need to be functioning on multiple levels. You know, we and work, we work the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, uh, also, mm-hmm. it's important, as you were saying this, I just felt compelled to say, you know, we need to stop mm-hmm. acting like white people built this democracy and, you know, we were just off, you know, picking cotton somewhere. No. <laughs> you know, first of mm-hmm. all, it was honorable, you know, enslaved labor was both it was obscene, but we did the work honorably while preserving our lives and the lives of our families. So I'm not dismissing uh, that labor, but African-Americans uh, our founding mothers and fathers of our country and our democracy. Enslaved people were nation builders. Certainly free people and people who are able to, uh, to become free were certainly in whose names we know. But all of that labor that was done by enslaved people was nation-building labor. The abolitionist movement was a democracy-building movement. Women's suffrage, and, you know, this year we're, we're celebrating um, the 100th anniversary of the women's vote, which many people forget black women were actively mm-hmm. involved in, in the women's suffrage movement. Many people forget that Du Bois and Doug, Frederick Douglass supported women's suffrage when most white men did not. Um, we built this country. We built this democracy. So when we fight to preserve democratic values and institution, we're not fighting to, to maintain something that white people built and that we aren't a part of. We are fighting to honor the labor, including the enslaved labor of our ancestors. And I think it's so important for us to totally reclaim that narrative of nation building and democracy building because it is ours. Mm-hmm. And we need, yeah. and, and if, when we don't vote, we dishonor it, and we mm-hmm. dishonor Certainly. our ancestors. Right, I totally agree. I um, have been um, hosting a car caravan around Lake Merritt on the first and third Fridays. Uh, uh, we start at Our Lady of Lords Church, and um, and so it's been really working out well because the last um, time we went around, the first Friday was the um, Labor Day weekend holiday uh, weekend, so I put on my window, um, "Black labor built this country." <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and 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 the signs they kind of stay in my car. I just I have them on all the windows when I'm going around the lake, and then I take off the ones that are kind of blocking my view and just have the two in the back um, for the rest of the month or until the next two weeks. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we need people need to realize that. You know, we we have a central role in the development of this nation. If we hadn't been here, Western culture, not to mention the United States, would not be what it is because we built it, all of it. Yep. 
Every last bit of it. And I'm so happy that, you know, the reparations bill passed in California. All we need, the governor just needs to sign it. And the one that's um, uh, in the federal government, I don't know where it is, but hopefully it'll get signed soon. So we can start figuring out how we're going to get compensated for what our ancestors did. Thank you. Thank you, Juan, and thank you for bringing up the caravan as well. And thank you, Dion, for centering it. What's up with the fire this time? <laughs> yes, <laughs> the new fire. Thank you. Thank you so much for including me, both of you, in this uh, in this conversation and uh, in this work, the important work that you're doing, Wanda. It's wonderful. Um, wonderful platform that you have created, and I'm so grateful and honored uh, that you uh, that you allowed me to uh, to join you today. Oh, thank you both thank so you. much for for joining us. I was wondering, do you all want to um, you know leave with a favorite song, quote, something? Um, I'm gonna play. Um, I uploaded if my homie calls um, for you, uh, uh, Donna Lisa. And I, and I uploaded <laughs> Keep Your Head Up for you, uh, Dr. Ben. <laughs> so when you're gone, I'm going to be playing those songs for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, it, is, it, is true, it is a truly it's, – it's such an honor. I, as a, the Dion, Dr. Dion Bennett is, as you, as you, as you all could hear, is, so, is my, my favorite Tupac. Shakur scholar and so much more. Thank you for breaking it down. I mean, really reciting these passages from these books, teaching um, our folks and, and doing the direct action. You too want to disappear, um, d- um, creating the art, teaching our folks, doing the direct action. Um, I do look forward to a part two and I can't wait to hear it. That is, I was about to say, keep your head up for Dion. <laughs> and, and that is my song for homies call. <laughs> that, is, that is my song. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. I, so I think we're I'll play. Just, just for, yeah. Just mm-hmm. from Brenda's got a baby. The part that I referenced was uh, someone mm-hmm. says, you know, uh, that's not our problem. That's up to Brenda's family. And Tupac says, um, well, let me show you how it affects the whole community. Um, mm. And I think that's important. Let, be aware of how uh, everything that we do and experience uh, affects the whole community, and that community is worth, worth uh, saving and defending and growing. Mm. Mm. Yes. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you both so much. And so we're going to I'm going to start with uh, Keep Your Head Up, and we're going to close out with If My Homie Calls. So thank you both so much, and we'll definitely um, be in touch so we can have another conversation soon. (laughs) I would love that. Thank you very much for your work. Oh, you're quite welcome. And I'm looking forward to reading your books. And and Donna Lisa, yeah, finding out more about your scholarship. Wow, this has been really (laughs) fabulous. (laughs) <laughs> All right, y'all. I'm gonna see y'all at the caravan and uh, at my office. <laughs> All right. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. Right. Twelve to one. Peace and blessings, both of yes. you. <laughs> All right. You Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Bye. Uh, you're welcome. Bye. Take the back of the bed, 
chose the dope game. Now you're slang gang on the streets with no name. It was plain that you aim with more cane. You got pain, now you reign with no shame. I chose rap tracks to make that. In fact, I travel the map with rap to spray cat. But now I don't wanna down my own. No matter how slow you go, you're not low. And I hear that you made a few enemies. But when you need a friend, you can depend on me. Call. If you need my assistance, there'll be no resistance. I'll be there in an instant. Who am I to judge another brother? Only on this cover. I'll be no different than the others. A to the O to the M to the I to the E. I'm down to the E N D. Cause it's a fall in no time at all. I'm down for y'all. When my homies call. What? It's my homies call. Some help, pal. But life make the record say easy. It ain't what I expected. It's expected. It's sleep. But I guess that the streets is harder. Trying to survive in the life of a young dog father. My homie is making it elsewhere. Striving. Working nine to five with no health care. We both had dreams of being great. But here's the bird. The bird has changed its shape. It's fake. It wasn't my choice to make. To be great. I'm giving it all it takes. Trying to shake. The threats and face the snake. I gotta say. My place are far from great. Before it's late. To hide the traits of hate But my homie would never do me wrong That's why I wrote the song If you ever need me, it's all No matter who the foe, they must fall Us against them all I'm down the road, my homie to close out this set 
with the rose that grew from concrete, um, which is uh, features a lot of great folks, and uh, Nikki Giovanni is one of the folks that sort of pulled this together, and she's in it as well. And I played it before because I really like it, and I might have to play something else because I'm trying to pull up um, uh, Bea Richards um, reciting her piece, A Black Woman Speaks, and uh, and so anyway, um, it's going to take a minute for me to do that. <laughs> so I might have to play some other music in the meantime, but first we're going to start with The Rose They Grew From Concrete. Try to plant something in the concrete, you know what I mean? If it grow and the and the rose petal got all kind of scratches and marks, you're not gonna say, damn, look at all the scratches and marks on the rose that grew from the concrete. You're gonna be like, damn, a rose grew from the concrete? Same thing with me, you know what I mean? I grew out of all this instead of saying, damn, he did this, he did this, it's like, damn, he grew out of that, he came out of that. That's what they do, you know what I mean? All the time. Yeah. 
recognize that voice that is our sister Nana Sula Spirit out of New Orleans and uh Mongu Ni Mueza and um yeah you need some healing call on Yemanja and there is a action happening tomorrow and let me look it up so I can make sure I have it correct uh with regards to um the um uh there is um let me see I think Charlie sent it to me. There is uh a protest tomorrow not tomorrow, excuse me, Sunday, the thirteenth. Um on September thirteenth, um the largest prison uprising in US history, which was begun on September ninth, nineteen seventy one, at Attica Prison was brutally suppressed. Thirty three prisoners and ten correctional officers were killed in the assault by New York State Police ordered by Governor Rockefeller. An important catalyst for the Attica uprising was George Jackson's assassination by prison guards, which happened at San Quentin three weeks before on August 21st. Um, 
And there is a webinar that we missed <laughs> um, on uh, September 8th. Anyway, on September on Sunday, September 13th at 5:30 p.m., um, there is going to be a demonstration and visual at San Quentin State Prison linked to the 1971 state murders at San Quentin and Attica with the criminal negligence that has led to 26 deaths at San Quentin during the COVID pandemic, including 12 death row prisoners. Um, there is a Facebook um, event that you can look at there, and let me find it for you and see what it says. Um, yeah, the contact people. Let's see, 5.30 to 8.45, Rise in Power, Recognizing Resistance from San Quentin to Attica and back again, 1971 to 2020. And let me see, uh, um, meet at the Larkspur Ferry Terminal at 5.30 p.m., walk to Westgate of San Quentin at 6 p.m. So it's going to be a march, and, um, yeah, so it's not in your car. It's actually a physical March, and um, uh, it's being hosted by No Justice Under Capitalism and California Coalition for Women Prisoners and three other organizers, but they're not showing here. Um, Yeah, so let me go back where we were. I was reading to you. Um, (laughs) Let's see. Um, Um. the uh, the protesters will honor all the incarcerated lives lost across California and the United States due to the state's ruthless disregard for black, brown, indigenous, and all incarcerated people. Uh, those assembled will call on Governor Newsom, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, and all state officials to immediately implement a policy of mass release in order to stop the needless deaths. Sadly, the demands made by incarcerated people in the 1970s remain fundamentally the same in 2020. Forty-nine long years later, recognize the dignity and human rights of all people in prison. That is the demand. The organizers also demand that the California Department of Correction and Rehabilitation and Governor Gavin Newsom grant mass releases and rehousing now in order to save the lives of the human beings inside. And there's another, it's a whole list of demands, and I will post this on wandaspicks.com. And uh, let me see how many demands are there. Oh, there are only, um, there are not that many demands. Let me read them to you. So the first one is stop the transfer between prisons and to ICE detention centers. Two, provide COVID-19 testing to 100% of the population and prison staff. Three, limit exposed staff from working in areas with no known positive cases. Four, provide nourishing and hot meals daily. Five, ensure that there is no or minimal lapse in medications for those who need them, including hormones for trans people. Six, expand credit earning opportunities. Seven, provide free hygiene supplies and regularly disinfect all common areas. Eight, provide free tele-visiting privileges and stamps. And nine, expand free phone calls. Yeah, the prisons were um, providing free phone calls, but it stopped. During the wildfire season, we demand that CDCR, one, monitor the fire situation surrounding prisons, be in communication with local fire officials, and have a plan to transport prisoners by the time 
mandatory evacuation comes into effect. Two, have contingency plans and multiple possible evacuation points based on the extent of fire. That is, don't plan to evacuate people to a site that might itself be facing a fire. Evacuate the sites in areas with virtually no fire risk. Eight, excuse me, three. Evacuate people with serious medical conditions and or disability with necessary medical and assistive technology devices. Four, provide up-to-the-minute updates that families and loved ones can readily find on the Internet. This should include information about what measures the prison is taking, when evacuation plans have been activated, and where people are being taken to. Five, pay incarcerated firefighters union-scale wages and grant formerly incarcerated people the right to be hired despite felony convictions. So, um, yeah, so that those are the demands. And uh, and like I said, I'll, I'll post it. But again, on September 13th, um, this Sunday at 5.30, there's going to be a demonstration and vigil at San Quentin State Prison. And um, folks are meeting, asked to meet at the... Um, at the ferry landing at Larkspur. Uh, let me let me give that to you again. Um, at the uh, just a second. Uh, meet at the Larkspur ferry terminal at 101 East Sir Francis Drake Boulevard at 5:30, and then people are going to walk up to the West Gate at 6 p.m. And there's going to be a demonstration and a visual. So, so that's that. And now I'm going to play Bea Richards, A Black Woman Speaks. Uh, and this is Bea Richards, uh, activist, phenomenal, phenomenal woman. Um, yeah, activist, poet, playwright, teacher, uh, director, movie star. Uh, she's going to recite, she's reciting um, her wonderful work. A Black Woman Speaks, and her birthday was July, was it July 12th, I think, um, this year? I know it was July. I'm just doing this from memory. Let me see, July 12th, I think. Um, let me see. Uh, Bea Richards. Yeah, I am such am such a fan of Bea Richards' work. Uh, yeah, July 12th, she was born in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and she had to get out of there so that she didn't end up getting killed. So she she came to California and didn't have any, she know anyone here and just made a wonderful life for herself and um, lived to be 80 and returned home and passed away there, um, sold her house. And you can watch this really wonderful film, be a black woman uh, speaks by uh, Lisa Gay. Um, Lisa Gay. I'm trying. I think Lisa Gay Hamilton, but um, <laughs> let me just make sure. Yeah, Lisa Gay Hamilton, who who played um, uh, she played Seth in uh, in Beloved, um, the uh, Toni Morrison. A book made into a film. So anyway, here is Bia, a black woman speaks. Peace and blessings, everyone. 
It is right that I, a woman black, should speak of white womanhood. My husband's, my father's, my brother's, my son's die for it because of it and their blood chilled in electric chairs stopped by hangman's noose cooked by lynch mob fire spilled by white supremacists mad desire to kill for profit gives me that right I would that I could speak of white womanhood as it will and should be when it stands tall in full equality. But then womanhood will be womanhood, void of color and of class, and all necessity for my speaking thus will be passed. Gladly passed. But now, since it is deemed a thing apart, supreme, I must, in searching honesty, report how it seems to me. White womanhood stands in blooded skirt and in slavery reaching out adulterous hands, killing mine and crushing me. What then is this superior thing that in order to be sustained must needs feed upon my flesh? How came this horror to be? Let's look to history. They said, the white supremacists said that you were better than me. That your fair brow should never know the sweat of slavery. They lied. White womanhood too is enslaved. The difference is degree. They brought me here in chains. They brought you here willing slaves to man. You Shiploads of women, each filled with hope that she might win with ruby lip and saucy curl and bright and flashing eye. Him to wife who had the largest tender. Remember? And they sold you here even as they sold me. My sisters, there is no room for mockery. If they counted my teeth they did appraise your thigh, sold you to the highest bidder, the same as I. And you did not fight for your right to choose whom you would wed. But for whatever bartered price that was the legal tender, you were sold to a stranger's bed in a stranger land. Remember? And you did not fight, mind you, I speak not mockingly, but I fought for freedom. 
I'm fighting now for our unity. We are women all. And what wrongs you murders me and eventually marks your grave. So we share a mutual death at the hand of tyranny. They trapped me with a chain, the gun. They trapped you with lying tongue. For lest you see that fault, that villainy, that robbed you of name, voice, and authority, that murderous greed that wasted you and me, he, the white supremacist, fixed your minds with poisonous thought. White skin is supreme. And therewith bought that monstrous change, exiling you to things. Changed all that nature had in you wrought of gentle usefulness. Abolishing your spring. Tore out your heart. Set your good apart from all that you could say, think, feel, know to be right. And you did not fight. But set your minds fast on my slavery. The better to endure your own. Tis true. My pearls were beads of sweat. Wrung from weary body's pain. Instead of rings upon my hands, I wore swollen, bursting veins. My ornaments were the whiplash scar. My diamond, perhaps a tear. Instead of paint and powder, on my face I wore a solid mask of fear. To see my blood so spilled. And you, women... Seeing spoke no protest, but cuddled down in your pink slavery and thought somehow my wasted blood confirmed your superiority. Because your necklace was of gold, you did not notice that it throttled speech. Because diamond rings bedecked your hands, you did not regret their dictated idleness. Nor could you see the platinum bracelets which graced your wrists were chains, binding you fast to economic slavery. And though you claimed your husband's name, still could not command his fidelity. You bore him sons. I bore him sons. No, not willingly. He purchased you. He raped me. I fought. But you fought neither for yourselves nor me. Sat trapped in your superiority and spoke no reproach. Consoled your outrage with an added brooch. Oh, God. How great is a woman's fear, who for a stone, a cold, cold stone, would not defend honor, love, nor dignity. You bore the shaming mockery of your marriage and heaped your hate on me, a woman too, a slave more so. And when your husband disowned his seed that was my son and sold him apart from me, you felt avenged.
understand I was not your enemy in this. I was not the source of your distress. I was your friend. I fought, but you would not help me fight, thinking you helped only me. Your deceived eyes, seeing only my slavery, aided your own decay. Yes, they condemned me to death. And they condemned you to decay. Your heart whisked away, consumed in hate, used up in idleness, playing yet the lady's part. Estranged to vanity. It is justice to you to say your fear equal their tyranny. You were afraid to nurse your young. Less fallen breasts offend your master's sight. And he should flee to firmer loveliness. And so, you pass them, your children, on to me. Flesh that was your flesh. Blood that was your blood drank the sustenance of life from me. And as I gave suck, I knew I nursed my own child's enemy. I could have lied, told you your child was fed till it was dead of hunger, but I could not find the heart to kill orphaned innocence, for as it fed it smiled, <laughs> and burped and gurgled with content. And as for color, you know difference. Yes, in that first while, I kept your sons and daughters alive. But when they grew strong, in blood and bone that was of my milk, you taught them to hate me. You gave them the words, Mammy and Nigger, so that strength that was of myself turned and spat upon me, despoiled my daughters, and killed my sons. You know I speak true, though this is not true for all of you. When I bestirred myself for freedom and brave Harriet led the way, some of you found heart, played a part in aiding my escape. And when you made your push for freedom, my sons fought at your son's side. My husbands and brothers too fell in that battle where Crispus Attucks died. It is unfortunate that you acted not in the way of justice, but to preserve the union. And of course, for dear sweet pity's sake. Else how came it to be as it is with me today? You hated slavery, yet abhorred equality. I would 
that the poor among you could have seen through the scheme and joined hands with me. Then, we, being the majority, could long ago have rescued our wasted lives. But no, the rich, becoming richer, could be content, while yet the poor had only the pretense and sought through murderous brutality to convince themselves that what was false was true. And so with Ku Klux Klan and fiery cross and blooded appetites, set about to prove that what is right, forgetting their poverty. Thus the racist used your skins to perpetuate your slavery. And woe to me. Woe to the boy Emmett Till. And woe to you. It is no mistake that your naked bodies on the calendars announce the fatal dates. This is what they plan for you. This is the depravity they would reduce you to. Death for me. And worse than death for you. What will you do? Will you fight with me? White supremacy is your enemy and mine. So, be careful when you talk with me. Remind me not of my slavery. I know it well. But rather, tell me of your own. Remember, you have never known me. You've been seeing me as white supremacy would have me be. But I will be myself, free. Justice, peace, plenty for every man, woman, child who walks this earth. This is my fight. If you will fight with me, then take my hand that our land may come at last to be a place of peace and human equality. For there is love. There is the serpent. And there is the dove. Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Tune in on Wednesday, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. And in the meantime, know that you have choices, so exercise them. Peace and blessings.